covered a lot of different areas on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and tonight I want to talk about um, speaking in tongues. And usually when I cover this part of it, I'm at the end of class and I kind of have to rush through it. So I'm, I'm glad I get to talk a little bit more in depth about it tonight. The first thing, and to me this is one of the biggest things that helps understand, is when you look at what's actually happening when you're speaking in tongues. Now to explain this, there's a diagram I draw a lot of times. Also, does anyone need a Bible that doesn't have one with them? Anybody need a Bible? Yes, right there. Thank you. Then there's an extra one over there too. Over here, over here. All right, so a human being is a spirit being that has a soul and lives inside of a body. A human being is a spirit being. You, have, you are a spirit that lives forever. But your body does not live forever. Your body's temporary. Okay? You are not your body, and you are not your soul. You are a spirit. Okay? Now, your body is made for you to interact with the physical realm around you. It's a way for you to interface with the physical world. And you have this body that you live in as long as you're on this earth. Okay? That's usually pretty obvious to everybody that we have a body and what it's for. What's not always so obvious is that there's parts of... Our body is a physical part of us, but our soul and our spirit are non-physical. And sometimes we tend to mix those together or think of them as being interchangeable terms. And they're not. And, um, just for one scripture on that, if you want to write this down or turn with me, I'm going to go to Hebrews chapter 4. And I'm going to read verse 12. This is Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 12. It says, The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is the discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. It tells us that the soul and the spirit can be divided, so they are not the same thing, okay? And this is very important to come to understand this, in my opinion. This is one of the most helpful things I've ever learned in my Christian walk. Now let's talk a little bit about what your soul is, and then what, you're, and what it's for, or what your spirit is for. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. And that's your soul. That's what your soul is for. So your soul is where you conduct logic and reason and emotional reactions and, um, and make decisions. Your soul is not inherently good or bad. God gave you a soul. God gave you emotions. God gave you a mind. It's not inherently good or evil by itself. 
It depends on what you do with it. So with your mind, you can think good thoughts or you can think evil thoughts. With your emotions, you can have godly emotions, godly emotional interactions, godly emotional reactions, but you can also have ungodly emotional outbursts. Okay? Not good or bad, just depends on what you're using it for. With your will, you can make good, godly choices or you can make evil choices. And then your spirit, from what we know, is created for communication and communion or a relationship or fellowship with God. That's what your spirit is for. That's what your spirit does. Right? And in, it tells us in the Garden of Eden that when Adam and Eve, God warned them, when you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when you eat from that, you will surely die. Remember he said that in um, Genesis 2, 16? And, but when Adam and Eve ate from that tree, they didn't physically die, right? Like they were still physically alive for a while. I think Adam lived to be 900 years old, so he lived for a while. And they didn't die in their brain. They weren't brain dead after that, right? Their emotions, their mind, their soul was still functioning like it was before. They could still interact with each other. But in some way that we don't, it's not fully detailed in the Bible, they had a spiritual, the Bible calls it, they died spiritually. There somehow the communication and communion with God that they had before that event is different now. And it tells us in many places in the Bible, but one of them um, is in Ephesians chapter 2. You don't have to turn there, but the beginning of the chapter talks about you were dead, but when you came to Christ, you were raised to new life. Everybody familiar with that? But th that doesn't mean your body was dead and your body became alive. Correct? And your brain wasn't dead, and then it came to life. What came to life is your spirit. Your spirit came to life. So you have that connection restored. Again, the Bible doesn't give a great amount of detail about this, so I'm trying to be careful to stay within the bounds of Scripture. But in, what it, in some way, when you come to Christ, it says your spirit comes to life again where it was dead before, whatever that means. Okay? Now, another, some other language that the Bible uses for what happens to your spirit when you come to Christ, when you come to faith in Christ, when you believe in Jesus as your Savior... Jesus tells us in John chapter 3 that you're born again, born of spirit. Born again, born of spirit. He uses those two words in the first six verses of John chapter 3. He says you were born again. And it's interesting that the Greek word there for again can also be translated born from above. It's equally accurate to translate it both ways. And if you look in your Bible, you may have it translated one way or the other, but the Greek word means both of those things. That's fascinating to me. 
It says that you're born again, born from above, and it says that you were born of spirit. And this is so fascinating to me. I named my website after this, Born of Spirit. This is a huge, very important truth to realize that when you believe in Christ, you are born from above and you are born again, born of spirit. It tells us in John chapter 1, verses 11, 12, 13, that to anyone who receives Jesus and believes in his name, God gives them the right to become children of God, not born of flesh, but born of God. So when you come to Christ and believe in him, you become one of God's offspring. You are considered a member of his family with the full inheritance. Okay? So your spirit is what we're talking about. Your spirit is born again, born from above. Your spirit is what's made new. A couple of other scriptures on that. Let's look at some of these. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is all leading up to speaking in tongues, but it's important to have this background. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I am going to begin reading at verse 17. So I'm in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, as we've talked about before, when you are in Christ, it doesn't mean your soul has become new. It doesn't mean your body has become new. When you come to Christ, you don't get a new body. You don't get a new mind. You get a new spirit. Okay? And your spirit is called, in the Bible, so your spirit is called a new creation. It's also called the new man. The new you. You become a new you. Now I want to take a few minutes and talk about the state of someone's spirit who has come to Christ and been born again, received this new birth. Okay? So if I'm going to keep reading in um, 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 18, it says, this is where we're just picking up where we left off. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So it says that you are now reconciled. You have been reconciled. And God is the one that reconciled you. You didn't do it. God did it. In other places in the Bible, use a similar language. It says in, um, in Romans 5.1, we have peace with God. That means there's no againstness. There's no strife between you and God anymore. God is not against you. You are reconciled to him. 
Think about when a relationship is reconciled. That means the parties are back together with no arguing. They're reconciled. Well, you are back with God like that, whether you know it or not. God reconciled you to himself. God did that. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? God reconciled you? Yes, sir. It says further on, I don't quite understand this. He made the one who did not know sin, which I assume is Christ. Yes. To be sin for us. Yes. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm heading there, yes. We're going to talk about that. Good question. So let's talk about verse... Uh, so verse 18, God has reconciled us to himself. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them. God is not imputing your trespasses to you. Isn't that good? Aren't we thankful for that? That means God is not holding your sins against you. That means all of the mistakes that we're making every day, God is not holding them against us. He is not imputing our trespasses to us. That is wonderful news. That is good, very, very, very good news. Thank you, Jesus. And it says, And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation, or the message of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, with a capital H, or he made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So, one of the words I've used to describe this is the great exchange. Anybody ever heard that before? The great exchange? Where, I, my, if I'm going to be judged by my actions, I have heaped up a bunch of judgment for myself based on the way I've behaved in my life. I haven't done everything right. I've made a lot of very poor choices. Multitudes of poor choices. I'm thankful I can't even remember all of them. But Jesus, when he was on the earth, it tells us in Hebrews 4 that he never sinned. Never. He never sinned one time. Even though he was tempted in every way that we are, he never sinned. And so if you're basing your view or your relationship with God based on performance, Jesus, even though he's God, he was a man. He came as a man. Okay? And so his performance would earn him every blessing that was available under the Old Covenant. Blessed will you be when you come in. Blessed when you go out. Blessed in the city. Blessed in the country. Blessed will be your herds and your family and your livestock. Everything you touch is going to prosper. Jesus has earned that. And then under that old covenant, if you don't do everything right, then you've earned cursing and punishment. Right? So what happens is, Jesus, who deserves all the blessing, takes the curse for us. He becomes sin for us when he goes to the cross. So anything bad that was coming my way, if you want to think about it like this, he took that on himself. He paid for my sins and your sins. 
and I get counted, I get his grade on my paper. I become the righteousness of God while he became my sin. Isn't that awesome? You get counted as righteous not because of your performance, but because of Jesus' performance. You were judged because of what Jesus did, not based on what you did. I'm telling you, that is worth spending a lot of time thinking about. Let me grab another, before I move on, so one of the things we can say about our spirit uh, aside from being born again, born from above, your spirit is the righteousness of God. Your spirit is righteous, okay? Your spirit is righteous right now. You are righteous right now if you have believed in Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you have put your faith in Christ, then righteousness for you is no longer a target or a goal. It's a fact of your history. You are righteous. You are the righteousness of God right now. Hallelujah to Jesus. Um, now, before I move, I want to hit this one verse on the same topic, and I'm sorry we're skipping around so much, but this is in Romans chapter 5. It's a very powerful verse on this topic. And um, I'm going to read verse 19, but it's in the middle of a long thing that's really worth t- reading, but I don't have time to do so. And um, the writer Paul is contrasting what Adam did when he sinned with what Jesus did when he died on the cross. Okay? So when Adam sinned, he brought death into the human experience. He brought sin and curse and judgment into the human experience. But when Jesus died for us, he brought forgiveness. Okay? Verse 19 in Romans 5 says this, For as by one man, talking about Adam, one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So when Adam sinned, sin came in the world and kind of infected everything. So also by one man, with a capital M, Jesus, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Your righteousness is based not on your obedience, but on Jesus' obedience. I'm hoping that y'all feel a load coming off of you right now, that your eternal destiny does not depend on how good you behave. Because if it does, nobody's going to make it. That blesses me. So I'm going to have to move on or we'll just talk about that all night. I want to catch a couple of other words that describe the state of your spirit right now. So go over to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 24. All of these scriptures, I would encourage you to read, go back and read them in context because you'll get blessed. But I'm trying to hit some main points here. So he says to put on, this is Ephesians 4.24, put on the new man. What's that? Ephesians 4.24. He says, put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So not only is your spirit or your new man righteous. Do you have a question? Ephesians 4.24. 4.24. Did I say that wrong? Okay. 
Not only is your spirit righteous, which means you have right standing or peace with God, you're on good terms with God, but your spirit is also holy. So you are holy. You have been made holy. Now, I'm not talking about the way your mind and your emotions are working. I'm talking about how your spirit works. Okay? I want to get two more, and then we could go on like this for a long time, but you'll get the point after this. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read mine in the, um, I'm in the New King James. Ephesians chapter 10, verse 10. Hebrews, I'm sorry, Hebrews 10.10. See, I get so excited talking about this stuff, my brain's, I've got to watch myself. This is so good, it's such good news. That somebody did it for you. All right. Hebrews 10.10. By that will, or by God's will, by what Jesus did, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of of Jesus Christ once and for all. That is past tense, correct? Have been sanctified. Now, does anybody have a different translation that says something different right there? Use a different word? Have been made holy. So sanctified and holy, made holy, are different English words that mean the same thing in the Greek. Hagiazo is the Greek word sanctified you have been sanctified this word means you have been set apart as special by God that's what sanctified or holy means set apart as special okay God you are special to God you are special to him he sets you apart as special to himself verse 14 in chapter 10 of Hebrews for by one offering, he has perfected forever those he has sanctified. Perfect. You are perfect. Your spirit is perfect. What do you think about that? That's good news, isn't it? The, in your spirit, the work is done. It is finished, as Jesus said. Yes, sir? Yes. We do still sin. Well, if we sin, maybe, maybe I don't understand your question. If we sin, Let me talk about repent. So he's asking if we sin, then, do, then we repent. Now, I believe this according to the Greek definition of repent. The Greek word is metanoia, and it means think differently or change your mind. Okay? 
change your mind about how you're behaving. Okay? But whether you repent or not, your sins have been forgiven. And if they're not, again, there are sins that we're doing that we're not even aware that we're doing them. Okay? Right? Just stay with me for a second. There are sins that we're doing that we're not even aware of. For example, to know if something is good and you don't do it is sin, it tells us in James. Okay? So all of us have a ton of sins that we don't even know we did. True? Is that right? And if, if we don't get forgiven until we repent of them, then nobody's forgiven. True? This is important to think about. Repenting is something I do in response to what God has done for me, not to get him to do something. I see a lot of wheels turning in here right now. This is worth thinking about. Let me do this a different way. If I draw a timeline here, which I love to draw, I love timeline. They help my brain put everything in place. If Jesus went to the cross right here in 30 AD, right? And 1 John 2, 2 tells us that he paid for the sins of the whole world at that time. Is that true? And in Hebrews um, 9 and 10, it says, When he had offered himself for our sin one time, then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. True? So all of the payment for sin that's ever going to happen, happened 2,000 years ago. All of the forgiving that's ever going to be done is happened 2,000 years ago. Think about this. Jesus paid enough to cover your whole life from start to finish. He did it right the first time. And he is now he's sitting down knowing that all the sins that needed to be paid for, he's already covered that. He has overpaid and when a person comes to faith in Christ, Jesus doesn't get up out of his chair and go pay for their sins. What it says is receive him, receive what he did. You believe what he did and you receive it, what's already been made available. So when I repent, the way I do it is my prayer would, it used to be like this, God, please forgive me. And they was afraid he's going to get me before I found out what I'm talking to you about. Now my prayer is, Father, I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be acting like this. Thank you that you paid for this. Thank you that you're not counting my sins against me. Thank you that you had me in mind when you went and paid for the sins of the whole world and you took care of this. And I'm, I'm believing what he did rather than See, if I am asking him to forgive me, that means I don't believe he forgave me. 
right? If I believe he forgave me, then my prayer is going to be different. It should affect my relationship with him. So repenting, thinking differently, doesn't mean feeling bad about it, even though a lot of times you do, but that does not, repenting is an emotional response to realizing you've made a mistake. But to repent, I think I said that wrong. Feeling bad is an emotional response to when you realize you've done something wrong, but repenting is when you change your thinking about it. You had something? I have two or three things. I love how you document uh, right here in the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. It is. So he's quoting um, Ephesians 1.14. It tells you that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit when you believed. Okay, so we can draw the Holy Spirit like this red color right here. Your spirit is sealed up. That's Ephesians 1.14. When you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit seals you. And if you think about sealing back then when this was written, you're going to send a letter or something. They fold it up and then they pour the wax on it and they stamp it with their ring and it's sealed. Like it's marked and it's safe. So you are marked and you are safe with the Holy Spirit. Another verse I like on this 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, if you just want to write it down. It says that he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. That is an awesome thing to think about right there. And if you combine that with some of the things it says in Hebrews, I mean in Romans, like the first half of the chapter, like 1 through 15, it talks about that the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. Not only are you sealed by the Holy Spirit, but in some way He is joined with your spirit and you guys are one together. So He's, he's in you. You're His house. If you'll notice, I, I like to say that a lot. God, you decided to live inside of us. To me, one of the most powerful things you can do is start becoming aware that no matter what you're doing, God's in there. God is inside of you. You don't have to go somewhere to meet God or to be with God. He's inside of you. Everywhere you go, God goes. Another, another thing I like to say is, when I show up, the Holy Spirit shows up. Because he's, I, I'm, he's inside of me. That's not being arrogant. That's just declaring the fact. I believe God when he says the Holy Spirit's inside of me. That gives you great confidence because you know the Holy Spirit made, made the universe. So whatever's in front of you, he can take care of it. Right? Yes, sir. Something I used to really struggle with Mm-hmm. 
You're, you, yeah, it's, I have found in my experience personally and in people I counsel and stuff, telling everybody how awful they are has never worked. People have been preaching against sin for 2,000 years and it doesn't work. But when you remind people of who they are and what's inside of them and what God has already done for them, if you grab hold of the fact that God made you righteous, then anytime you're doing ungodly behavior, you're not being yourself. And it helps you have strength and energy to battle that. It's kind of like when they're raising, like they're training the royal children. They don't tell them, you better stop acting like that or you're not going to be in the family. They say, we are, you're a royal prince. You don't, we don't behave like that. It's like a different motivation. We want to stop sinning because that's not who we are, not in order to get God to like us. Like God already likes me. God loves me. He died for me while I was a sinner. Romans 5. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for the ungodly. Isn't that wonderful? Because I was the ungodly that he died for. And he has made me perfect, righteous, holy, and sanctified. And all I did was believe. This is an awesome gospel. This is a wonderful, wonderful Jesus. I had no idea we were going to be talking about this for the first hour of class. Yes, sir. And I also I see some new faces that think about repentance and changing the way of thinking. I love the knowledge you helped show me in this class about that Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. The enemy is going to go on your diagram and attack me over there in the mind, the will, and he is. Right. And I love how you find that so you can tell. Yeah, so the way, when, we th when I say enemy, I'm talking about the devil, demons, the kingdom of darkness. And if you're a Christian, they are never going to want to mess with you in your spirit. Never. That's a stupid, you're, that is hopeless for them. They are going to have to try to get you in your body or your, or your mind by tempting you or trying to put symptoms on you or something like that. They want to drag you out into analyzing things logically so that you're using, so that your mind is the one they're fighting with, not your spirit. Because your spirit is invincible. Invincible. Okay. Now that we know about our spirit and how awesome our spirit is, Let's take a minute. Just, if you, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. You don't have to, but if you want to, let's do it. In my spirit, I am perfect. 
I am righteous. I am holy. I am sanctified. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, can you just feel your spirit getting excited about that? Do you feel that? I feel it. All right. All right, so let's talk about our spirit a little bit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to start talking about how this relates to speaking in tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So I'm going to talk about now I'm going to now that we've done that background on your spirit, the condition of your spirit, I'm going to um, talk about some of the benefits and purposes of praying in tongues. Okay? So 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Does anyone have a different translation there? If I pray in a spirit... If I pray in tongues, my spirit prays. I don't understand what I'm but I don't understand what I'm saying. Some translations will say my mind is not fruitful. This one says, for if I pray in another language, my spirit prays, but my understanding is not Okay. And someone else had a different one? My spirit is praying, but my mind does nothing. My spirit is praying, but my mind does nothing. When you're praying in tongues. It's a spiritual language that God gives you when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to be talking about right now. We, uh, yeah, if you, you guys weren't here for the first several weeks, but I would encourage you to listen to the first one. We go into lots of detail about this. Okay, so this tells me in chapter 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14, that every time I'm praying in tongues, who is doing the talking? Your spirit, not the Holy Spirit, your spirit. This is a huge point of misunderstanding for people. It says, when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays. That means you are in charge of when you do that. You can do that anytime you want to. Once you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you can pray in tongues as much as you want to. I used to have people tell me that you can't pray in tongues unless you feel an unction. Has anybody ever heard that? That's not true. Feel an unction, that's the word they use. Like you feel moved to do it. And that's, sometimes I feel moved to do it, but if I don't feel moved to do it, I can still do it because it's my spirit. Okay? Yeah, I think that's the biggest misteaching out there. You've got to let God speak. You know. Yeah. When you are praying in tongues, it is your spirit that's talking. You are initiating the action. It is coming from you. It's coming from your spirit. Now let's think about what this means. If my spirit is praying, but my mind is not, did, what did you say? Mind is not involved or mind does not understand? But my mind does nothing. But my mind does nothing. So think about this with this diagram. Every time you're praying in tongues, let me draw your, your spirit speaking with the blue line. Your spirit is getting to use your vocal cords to speak. 
totally leapfrogging over your soul. I need, yeah, I'm going to stay on this for a minute. When you pray in tongues, your spirit is making sounds using your vocal cords. Your spirit is praying audibly using your vocal cords. But it is not your mind that's doing it. It is not your emotions. It is not your will. It is not a soul activity. It is not a mental activity. It is not an emotional activity. Although these, those things can be involved, but that's not what's generating it. So this explains why for people that... Like for me, I'm a really analytical computer person, okay? And so when I prayed in tongues at first, I had a hard time because the way God designed us to work is that we're spiritual beings and we use our soul and our body. But I was used to living my life where my mind was the number one thing. Everything was mental and logical and reason and fit into a flow chart and had to make sense to me. That means my mind was dominating my, my choices. Now, you're, people say, well, yes, logic and reason is good. but you, It is good, but you can't trust it to be right. Let's get on that for a second. In order for logic and reason, I'm speaking to the engineer kind of people in here. In order for me to come to a logical conclusion and have some kind of scientific proof, I have to know all the variables. I have to have all the data. Well, you don't have all the data. There's a whole spirit realm that you weren't even aware of. There's no way that you're always going to be right using your logic. Your logic is a good tool to help your spirit, but it is not your source, it is not the leader. I've heard it said this way, your soul makes a great servant but a terrible leader. In the same way, your emotions cannot tell you the right answer either. They can't be trusted to lead you. And I, I use this example every time, but to me it's just so, it makes it so obvious. You ever watching a cartoon movie? I was watching Toy Story 3. Has anybody seen that? You know at the end when they're sliding down that hill and it's so sad and I'm sitting there crying and I'm saying this is just a movie but my emotions are not they're acting like it's real. I cannot trust my emotions to tell me the truth. I cannot trust my emotions to get an accurate assessment of anything. And nor can I trust just my mind. My mind and my emotions are meant to serve my spirit. Do you have a question? Don't I, li I love questions. Yeah. When you die, the Bible tells us for sure that our spirit goes. It tells us that in Hebrews twelve twenty-five, I believe. Now, it doesn't tell us for sure what parts of our, if parts of our soul, like parts of our memory and stuff does go, but I don't know how that works. It doesn't tell us. But I know we get a different body, and I know our spirit goes on. 
why did the devil want the soul to be sold to him and not the spirit? Because he wants to be in charge of you. But he can't do it unless you agree. No, he can't. If someone's born again, you outrank him. Like you are, if you're born again in Ephesians 2, it tells us that you're seated with Christ in heavenly places far above the whole kingdom of darkness. Like there's no, there's no contest. But if you don't know this and you think about things logically, then he can have influence. So he would always want me to go logically so he can try to... So think about this. If God, let's say, has anyone in here had God felt like God told you to do something, but then you've tried to figure it out, and you said, no, I'm not going to do that. You know what just happened? You let your mind override your spirit. And we all do that. And God loves you, and you're forgiven. Don't feel bad. But that's just how it works. If God, because think of some of the things God has told people to do in the Bible that don't make any sense. Hold your staff out over the Red Sea and the water's going to part. That makes no sense. <laughs> or let me wipe this mud in your eye. Go wash in the pool, of, go wash in the pool and you're going to be able to see your blindness is going to be healed. That makes no sense. So things in the spirit realm don't always make sense, especially to us in this culture of rationalism and humanism and materialism. We tend to want to judge the spiritual by our natural environment. You have a question? She said, how do you know if it's your spirit talking to you or your mind? There's, there's, that is experience. Okay? That's just experience. And the more, one thing that can really help is when you, like when you read the Bible, for example, and you let that tell you what truth is. And then if you're hearing something in your mind or something like that that doesn't match up with the Bible, you know that's not coming from your spirit. Like your spirit will always agree with God. I think it's Romans 7, 22. It says, I delight in my spirit. I delight in the law of the Lord in my inner man. Like, your spirit always wants to agree with God, always wants to do what God says. That's why you can have an argument inside of yourself. Have y'all ever argued with yourself? I know I'm supposed to do this, but I don't want to. Well, that's your spirit and your soul arguing. Isn't that funny? Doesn't this help? The part of you that wants to do the right thing, that's the real you. That's your spirit. So be encouraged. Yes. The spirit, when you talk, you talk in tongues. Is another spirit other than yours? No, when you pray in tongues, your spirit is praying in a language that your mind doesn't understand. What do you mean? Why the spirit Why does the spirit and the mind not communicate? Okay, because you said, I mean, we read about it, that yeah. when you pray in tongues, it's your spirit 
Yeah, your mind doesn't understand it. Your mind is supposed to, so one of the, well, this is my next point, so this is a good question. One of the benefits of praying in tongues is that you train your whole person to line up the way it's supposed to be. Your mind is supposed to serve your spirit rather than judge it. Like if you're praying in tongues, your mind is supposed to let it happen. Let me say it that way. So when every time you pray in tongues and your mind is not liking it, like what I would be doing is I would be praying in tongues and then I would be trying to analyze. Is this a language? I'm saying the same thing over and over. This doesn't sound like a language. That's my mind. And my mind is never going to understand speaking in tongues. The training is letting your mind just say, I'm just going to let it happen. And so it lets you get used to being spiritual, being supernatural. Because a lot of times when God wants you to do something, your mind is going to object. So it's a way to practice being supernatural. It's a way to practice being spiritual. Every time you're praying in tongues, you're getting to practice letting your spirit be in charge and not your mind. Our mind is limited. Yeah, yes. Yes. So she said, when you're in a group and someone prays in tongues, what good is it doing? And that depends. Okay. If we're all in here in a group and we all understand that we're all just going to use our prayer language right now, then it's benefiting each person that's praying. It's benefiting themselves. Okay. But sometimes God will want to communicate to the group and he will have one person speak in, their, in a prayer language and then he will supernaturally tell someone else what that meant. And then when they, when they share that, then God communicates to the group in that way. So that benefits everybody. But that only happens if God decides he wants to do that. We can't make that happen. you're good enough God will give you tongues see that that's we covered that yeah so we covered that last week and we found out reading in um first and uh in Acts chapter it's okay in Acts chapter 10 we found out that the only requirement to speak in tongues is that you're a Christian for at least one second because Peter came into the house of Cornelius and preached the gospel to them and they had never heard it before and they believed, and then they started speaking in tongues right away. And they weren't mature believers. They have only been Christians for one second. So that's the only prerequisite. So if someone told you that if you're good enough, God will give it to you, that person is misinformed. So that it wouldn't be a gift, right? Right. It, w it wouldn't be a gift. It would be a payment. So if, 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 that, if speaking in tongues, because, you know, I, I go back to Yes. I'm thinking like that have been speaking a different language 
Yes. And not everybody is so so it is my belief that everyone, every time you speak in tongues, it's a real language somewhere. But it's not usually meant for anyone around you. It's meant for God, and God understands it. Okay? That's actually the next verse we're going to get to in a second. Okay? Yes, sir. So if I understand you correctly, you're saying that the spirit would then overtake the mind, and what you, so you're basically not engaging your mind at the time you're praying for the spirit, but... The, the verse says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, my mind is unfruitful, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, and I will pray with my mind also. Yes. And I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will also sing praise with my mind. Yes. So how can you not engage your mind, but so, saying that we pray with our mind and with our spirit? So the, I, the, the, the error that he's trying to correct in this letter is that they thought the proper way to handle a gathering of believers is let's all get together and see who can pray in tongues the loudest. Okay? So it's very chaotic. And he's trying to get them to use their prayer language in the right way. And he's saying it's good to pray in tongues. It's good. So I'm going to say this in modern language, okay? Another way to say that verse is I will, I will pray in tongues and I will pray in English. They're both good. Not one, the one's not better than the other. They're both good. When I pray with the understanding, that's me praying in English. It's not saying at the same time. Like both activities are good. Praying with your mind is good. Praying with your spirit is good. Praying in tongues is good. Praying with your mind or praying in a language you can understand is also good. Like Paul, Paul there's many prayers of Paul throughout the epistles where he prays for people and he's not praying in tongues, he's praying in a language everybody understands. Like when I prayed for us at the beginning of class, I prayed with the understanding. Like when we say our prayers at night, or when you pray for someone to be healed, you're praying with the understanding. So, so what I'm understanding is that our... What you're saying is that our mind should be unfruitful because we're not praying with our mind, but Paul's saying that the conditional, if we are praying with our If I pray in a tongue my spirit prays, my mind is unfruitful, I don't see... Paul is advocating our mind to be unfruitful. He's describing what happens when you're praying in tongues. <coughs> He's saying when you're praying in tongues, your mind is unfruitful, but Paul is also saying, I pray in tongues, I pray in English. I pray in tongues, I pray in English. When I pray in English, my mind is fruitful. When I pray in tongues, my mind is unfruitful. Yeah. Okay. Yep, so when you... If you're praying in tongues and it seems like you don't understand what's going on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That means you're doing it right. That's a good sign that you're using your spirit and not your mind. If you're praying in tongues and your mind is going, this doesn't make any sense. That, to me, that means you're doing it right. Skip, did you have something? What was that that Paul said? Pray in the Spirit at all times. I think that the way that I would have been speaking in tongues, it was some download from God, and then I got this miraculous speaking, you know, with this language. Whereas I think that back then, everybody prayed in tongues all the time. And whereas it's a common thing, and Paul was saying pray all the time. And instead of just this, in my mind, it was this miraculous download, whereas what I have learned is, 
praising God and, and communing with Him and the Holy Spirit. Just, it can happen. It doesn't have to be something miraculous. Does that make sense? It doesn't have to be like some amazing encounter where you get goosebumps and everything. Is that what you're trying to say? Like I, I, I just had a dead battery and I had a 55 amp boost and I put it on 55 amp and I go run and try to start my car. You know, but I've learned that the 2 amp works good too. You know? um, so because of scriptures like Ephesians 6.18 where Paul encourages the believers to pray in the Spirit at all times, and other scriptures like that, that lets me know that praying in tongues is a good practice to have as a part of your life. So personally, I take that seriously. So I pray in tongues on the way to work. I pray in tongues on the elevator. I pray in tongues walking to the cafeteria. I pray in tongues walking around the mall. I pray in tongues a lot. I'm not doing it to get a reward. I'm doing it because of the, what God says it does for you. Like it's not like a chore. It's like taking vitamins. Like it's good for you. So I want to do that. Anything God wants me to have, I want as much of that as I can get. Neil, I, I, uh, I'm not analytical at all. And I, I'm, I've got a lot of gratitude that I'm kind of simple-minded. And that's why it came to me literally simple-minded and coming as a child, like a little child. Uh -huh. Word talks about it. So it happened to me early on. Mm -hmm. but then I have a wife who's very analytical, and you know, we can talk about this. Yeah. Like yeah. That it's not so easy for some Like you had said, it was not easy for me. Yes. I spent 10 years praying for God to baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Because that whole time, I was expecting God to take over my mouth and make me do something. I really was. Because I was misinformed. But the night I received it, the person that prayed for me put his hand on me and said, don't try to figure it out, just speak. And he didn't know how my brain was, but God told him what to say to me. And so I just did it, and guess what? It works. And it totally rearranged my thinking. It really did. So if you're analytical and you have a tendency to analyze and all that kind of stuff and you have a hard time with this that's okay but just keep doing it it'll get easier yes uh, i like to pray in tongues when i run out of words yes when i don't know what to pray for when i've prayed but i've said all the things that i know how to say i just let the spirit take over yeah that's a great use for it yeah we're gonna actually there's some scriptures on that that we're gonna look at we're running behind. I got to get moving. <laughs> this is so fun talking about this stuff. Um, go. We're in First Corinthians chapter four. Come back to verse two. It says, "He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him." However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. So when you are praying in tongues, you are talking to God. That's your audience. That's a conversation from you to God. That's a way for you to talk to your Father 
in heaven that is not limited by your mental capabilities. You are not, you can talk to God in a way that is not limited by your intellect. Okay? And it tells us that when you're praying in tongues in the spirit, you are speaking mysteries. That, um, I don't particularly care for that translation right there, but the word in Greek means wisdom that has not been revealed or hidden wisdom. Wisdom that has not been manifest yet. So it gives me the sense that when I'm praying in tongues, I'm speaking God's wisdom into my situation, whatever it is. Um, go over to verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So when you speak in tongues, okay, so let's, uh, one of the things that you're doing or one of the purposes for it is to edify or strengthen is another way to say that. It's one of the purposes of praying in tongues is to give you a way to strengthen yourself or edify yourself. So if you're feeling beat down or in the ditch or messed up, it's a great time or under attack. It's a great time to pray in tongues to get yourself out of the hole. It's a way to strengthen yourself personally. I know that if I'm about to go into a situation that's daunting and I'm starting to get tempted with fear, then I will pray in tongues and my courage rises up because this verse is true. If you pray in tongues, you will strengthen yourself. And it's so easy, you don't even have to know how to do it. You just do it. You don't have to know how to do it right. I love it. Um, Jude, verse 20. Jude is right before Revelation. It's only one chapter. Jude, verse 20. He says, But you, beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. When you pray in tongues, you're building your faith. Let me tell you how this works practically. Every time you speak in tongues, you have to be using faith to do it. You have to believe it. And I'm sure anyone in here that's been speaking in tongues for any length of time at all knows that when you do it, very often a strong temptation comes to tell you that this is not real or this is not doing anything. And so and every time you fight through that, you're, it's faith that's being built right there. So when you speak in tongues, when your mind or the enemy is telling you this is stupid, you're strengthening your faith. You're getting used to overriding that kind of temptation.
So another, another, that's another thing I do. When I, like, if I'm supposed to go pray for somebody and it seems like an intimidating situation I'm going into, I'll be praying in tongues to get my faith built up. But also having a habit of practicing praying in tongues regularly also builds your faith up. You start noticing over time that things that you used to struggle with when God would want you to do something and you would have a big argument in your mind, you're so used to being spiritual that it's not as much of a battle anymore. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think that's awesome. Um, next one I want to look at is Romans chapter 8. verse 26 and I don't really like my Bible's translation of this verse but um, I'm going to read it anyway it doesn't totally get the meaning here but Romans 8 26 likewise the spirit also helps us in our weakness for we, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought to but the spirit himself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And your translation may say may not be understandable or understood, something like that. So sometimes when you don't know how to pray, you can choose to pray in tongues and the Holy Spirit will meet you right there and help you know the right thing to pray for. This is one of the, another big thing I use it for. There's something going on and it seems it's all messed up and I don't know how to pray, then I'll just start praying in tongues. I'll just start praying in tongues. I won't, I won't know the right way to pray, so I'll pray in tongues. Two other real quick ones. Um, in, at Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, and also in uh, 1 Corinthians I mean, in Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house. We see people get baptized with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues for the first time, and it tells us what they're saying, I guess because the people around them could get a sense of what was going on. And they both say something similar. It says they spoke in tongues declaring them or magnifying God. They magnified God, or they were declaring the wonderful works of God. If you're declaring the wonderful works of God or magnifying God, what's another word for that? That's worship. Praise. Praise and worship. That's another wonderful thing that you, uh, speaking in tongues is very good for. And um, the gentleman quoted from 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. It says, um, in 14, 14 and 15, it says, When I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, and my understanding is unfruitful. What's the conclusion then? I will pray in the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing in the spirit. And I will also sing with the understanding. So you can sing or praise God with your spirit. And I think this is what you were alluding to a minute ago. Sometimes in worship, where I want to praise God, and I'm just running out of language, my English is not doing justice for what I'm wanting to come out of me. Like it's just not getting the job done. I don't have words for what I'm wanting to express. Then I will, I will praise God in tongues right there like that. 
So it lets you praise God in a way that surpasses your intellect. It surpasses your mental capabilities. The last one, you don't have to turn there, but you can write it down. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, and it's verse 18. But it comes at the end of the section where he's talking about the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. The helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. And he's talking about withstanding the attacks of the devil. He's talking about spiritual warfare, being in battle. And take up the sword of truth, which is the word of God. And then he says, praying always in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So speaking in tongues, another use for it is when it's in time for spiritual warfare. Now in my life, I didn't fully understand all this stuff, even though I was already doing it. So let me tell you what I mean by that. Sometimes I would be praying in tongues... And I could tell that I was worshiping God even though I didn't know what I was saying. I could just tell by the way I was, my demeanor was. But sometimes I could tell I was interceding for something even though I didn't know what it was. Just by the way my prayer is going. But sometimes I would be praying in tongues and it would feel like I'm getting forceful. And it's not that God's taking over me. It's like it's like you're choosing to surf the wave. Like something's leading you and you get to choose to go along with it. It's very hard to explain this if you haven't done this. But you'll get a sense that you're, you're, you start praying in tongues and it starts getting very forceful. Like you're almost like, it's almost like authoritative, like a police officer or something like that. And I liken that to this warfare that it's talking about in Ephesians 6.18. Sometimes... Praying in tongues is a way to fight the enemy. Now, I don't fully understand all of that, but um, I know that it works. So, all of these benefits and all of these purposes that we've talked about, speaking in tongues, building up your faith, strengthening yourself, going past what your mind knows, praying about things you don't know to pray about, all of those automatically work whenever you speak in tongues. They just work. You don't have to figure it out. You just do it and expect it. All right? So who? any questions or comments on any of this? Yes, sir. I find a lot of times when I pray in tongues, uh, someone that I know comes to mind yeah. and what to pray about. That's great. Thank you for saying that. I'm going to repeat that for everybody. He said he finds that a lot of times when he's praying in tongues, someone will come to mind. And then some information will come that helps you know something to pray about for them. Has anybody else had that? I've had that. You're praying in tongues and you're not thinking about that person. All of a sudden they just come to mind. Skip. When you pray in tongues, does it have to be loud? No. It can be a whisper. You do it under your breath. That's what I do at work so that people don't want to lock me up. <laughs> but, I mean, I'll tell you, I, when I start finding out all this, it's like God gave me a Swiss Army knife. Like He gave me a tool that does a bunch of stuff. 
So I'm exploring it to see everything I can do with it. I, don't, I think God likes that. He gives you a tool and you use it. That's what he gave it to you for. Okay? So I'm at work, and this is multiple occasions, and I work on computers. And something breaks, and it doesn't make any sense, and I don't know what to do about it, and I cannot figure it out. And when I remember to do this, I'll go, wait a minute. And I just start praying in tongues. And then I, I mean, I'm telling you, very soon I figure out what the problem is. And I could explain some of this to some computer people in here, but I don't want to bore everybody. But, but it's like, I know what it is. And I don't know how I know it, I just know it. Another thing I use it for, when I need direction, and I don't know how to pray. The, um, I'm thinking of a, one example in particular. I was invited to come teach at this Bible study. And I wasn't sure I was supposed to go there. And if I was, I didn't know what I was going to tell them about. And so I didn't know what to do. So when I left work, I was driving home and I just started praying in tongues in the car as I often do. And within about five minutes, the outline of me, what I'm going to teach them is already going through my head. Like all the points. And I'm seeing myself there in that room teaching them. And that's one way God leads me. I'll pray in tongues and go about my business, and he brings to me what I'm supposed to be doing. I cannot explain that to you, but I, it works. So when I don't know which direction to go, I'll pray in tongues and wait to know what the answer is. But you can also pray in English, too. But... Um, Anyway, those are some uses for it. Yes, sir. So you're saying that at times the praying in tongues is like a stress, a stress or anxiety releaser, which takes away all that stuff that's running through your mind and, and clears your mind out so you can actually solve the problem if you're struggling. That could be what's happening, or it could be that I'm praying in tongues and God gives me the answer that I wasn't receiving. I mean, maybe me and you are both saying the same thing. Praying in tongues when you're stressed out or fearful or worried, very powerful. Very powerful. Because again, when you're stressed out or angry or afraid, your emotions are influencing you beyond what they're supposed to. And praying in tongues is a way to get a uh, front end alignment. Pardon my analogies, but helps you get back in order. Any other questions or comments? Yes, sir. Uh, speaking in tongues, in tongues originates in the spirit. Mm -hmm. Where I'm coming, trouble getting my mind around is that you, it still has to. Your mind has to process that and your vocal cords have got to it seems like so you're, it's got to go through the filter if you, will, you have to allow it through without understanding it yes and to me getting practice doing that is very valuable your mind can get it you, your mind can stop it or allow it Yes, just like with anything else God wants you to do. I think 
problem a lot of people had that I did was that you're expecting this to just happen spontaneously. Right. That, and to, in my experience, that's very unusual. Yeah. Um, we looked last week, we looked at four different times in the Bible where people got baptized with the Holy Spirit. We found that two of them, it seemed like the people just received it spontaneously or on their own without anyone ministering to them. And in two of them, they had people come lay hands with them and pray for them and, and coach them or lead them into receiving it. So both ways are valid. Um, in my experience, it's unusual the more spontaneous one. Yeah, and I, I attribute that to kind of the mindset of the society we live in is very rationalistic. Like it seems like it's harder for us to receive spiritual truth than maybe it was for people in the first century. Yes? Is there a way to know that you're baptized in the Spirit? Yes, if you speak in tongues. Yep. If you speak in tongues, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, again, this is from last week, but we looked at every time in the Bible someone, someone speaks in tongues for the first time. Every time someone speaks in tongues the first time in the Bible, it's always when they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yep. So there's three examples of that, and all three is when they're praying tongues the first time, it's when they get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yes. So if you pray in tongues, then you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. These are some great questions. Any other questions? Yes. Um, anytime the Bible says praying in the Holy Spirit, does that only refer to speaking in tongues, or could it be that the Holy Spirit's going to lead you how to pray in English for a particular person? That's a great question. So she said, anytime the Bible says praying in the Holy Spirit, or praying in the Spirit, is that always referring to speaking in tongues? Or could also that mean God is giving you information in your spirit and you're praying about it in English? Is that what you're asking me? Yes, it can be both. But normally when they're talking about praying in the Spirit, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, he's talking about praying in tongues. That's the language he chose to use for it. That doesn't mean you can't have spirit-influenced prayers in English, because we do. Yes. Yes? So Man, you have such great questions. So the question was, does it mean if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you are better than others? And the answer to that is no. But it does mean that you're better than you were. It, it, uh, it, it's like an amplifier or a power tool added to you, but that doesn't, it doesn't make you better or worse than someone else. Yes, every believer, think about this, every believer in the body of Christ has the same rank. And we get that rank the moment we believe. And that rank is that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. So there is no improving on that. And that happens the moment you believe. Getting baptized with the Holy Spirit is something to help you live out your calling here on the earth. 
but it doesn't, it doesn't mean God likes you more or you're better or you're more holy or anything like that. Yes. You accepted a gift. Great point. He said you've just accepted a gift that's available to everyone. The analogy we used before was um, if we're all a construction crew and we're building a house and we're using hammers and then the foreman comes up with some nail guns. If I go get my nail gun, I can build the house better. And it, but it's like a free gift. So why wouldn't I want it? It's available to everybody. Every Christian, God wants them to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in fact, when God started the church, when the church began, every member spoke in tongues on the day of Pentecost. Right. Can you speak up so everybody can hear you? Yeah. Jesus came to say everybody is equal. Yeah, he, he loves all of us the same. Yeah, and there's no clean and unclean. Yeah. Yes, very good point. You had a question. No, that's fine. It's a scripture that I, I thought it might help. Oh, please. Sure, it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, just because you can start at verse 6, but I won't, I won't read it all, but like verse 6 through um, 16. But particularly verse 10, uh, it says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. I just thought that That is excellent. One of my favorites. Yeah, that is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That is, that is perfect. Can someone be baptized in the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues? It's not, that's not in the Bible. So that's, that's my answer to that. In every case in the Bible. Yep. Yeah, so if it's in the Bible every time, that makes me think it comes with it. Now, I've heard people say, I asked to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I spoke in tongues later. But to me, when you speak in tongues is when you receive it. Like, that's what it was for me. The first time I asked for it, it was 10 years later before I spoke in tongues. But when I spoke in tongues is when I received it. But when I asked for it, God said yes. But people have different beliefs about that, and that's fine. Um, yeah. Were you finished? Okay, okay. Yes, ma'am. And would you mind speaking up? Because I. I identify what you said and you said. I speak more than one language. There are times that I don't want to play in English. It just comes to me in my other language, in my other language. So it's for us, whether we speak in tongue, pray in tongue, or English, or silent, just how we 
Yes. Yeah. It's, a, it's just another way to talk to God. Yes. And it's not, it doesn't mean that praying in English is bad or praying in your natural language is bad. It's just another thing to do. That's true. Absolutely. Some great questions tonight. Any other comments? Yes. I like to use analogies, and I, I like it when you do. Yeah. And uh, I think sure. about when we give a gift to somebody. Mm-hmm. See you later. Birthday or some kind of occasion, if someone gives you a gift, and you just say, "Oh, thanks," and set it down, it's it's not fulfilling its purpose. You have to open it. That's awesome. And thank the giver and actually use it yes. uh, for it to be what it was intended to be. That is an awesome... Did everybody hear that? Yeah. That, that is great. The, the biggest thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not that you re- receive it, it's that you use it. Like if you received it but you don't use it, it's not really doing you any good. The whole point is that you use it. And to me, that honors the giver when you use what he gave you. I love that. That's a great analogy. You know, I can give a quick testimony. Sure. Um, not Because I received it very quickly. I said before, like, God Okay. And uh, I, I allowed the enemy to say to me, this isn't real. Like yes. Yeah, yeah. And it, it felt like it was out of order after a while. Okay. And it felt like this was the same person giving the same person. Yeah. And so I, I walked away from that church and went to another one, but allowed myself to believe I don't speak the one So during that period of time, there were a lot of things happening in my life that shouldn't have been happening. Uh-huh. I, I believe that, and there—that's I think of um, in James chapter three, and not, we, I'm running out of time. But in James chapter three, he talks about how the tongue—if anyone can tame the tongue, he can tame the whole thing. And he says the tongue is like a, a bit in the horse's mouth, and it can change the direction of the horse, or it's like a rudder on a ship. It's such a small thing, but it can totally direct the whole giant ship. And it's talking about if anyone can tame the unruly tongue. That man has mastered himself. And I think it's so fascinating that this thing that God gave us is a way to use our tongue that's always right. And I, I do believe praying in tongues steers the ship. I believe that's exactly what you were saying. That when I pray in tongues, it helps the ship head in the right direction. That doesn't mean everybody that prays in tongues does everything right all the time, but it helps. Yes. Yes. One of the passages that really speaks to my heart. Yes. Yeah, I think God is so pleased when we worship Him in spirit. And John 4, with the lady at the well, which is a familiar passage. Yes. He says, Yet yeah, Jesus is talking to the woman, yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and His worshipers. 
Yes. That's wonderful. Yes. Did everybody hear that's in John 4 where she was reading? Yeah, that's a wonderful thing to think about. Man, we are having some good questions tonight and good comments. I'll tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for the group and, um, and then I'm going to give some instructions, okay? So, um, Father, I thank you.